Welcome. I can't believe we have this many people here. See, they, they deliberately scheduled me on a snowy, you know, February Super Bowl Sunday, so I would do the least damage to our congregation here. <laughs> so, our topic today is grace in jazz. Grace in jazz, that's, uh, a number of you have expressed to me that that's, that's quite a stretch, isn't it? Uh, my contention here today is that the practice either of playing or of listening to this great musical art form actually helps us grow in godliness, helps us become more like God. It is a means that God can use uh, for us to become more like him. But first of all, I think we have to get just a little bit of an understanding of what this art form is because not everyone is conversant in it, right? Uh, a number of you have also said that to me. It's like, well, that sounds really interesting, but I don't actually know anything about jazz. So I'm going to give you the whirlwind tour, and then we will, in fact, talk about grace and jazz, okay? Uh, normally, I would take you through the history of jazz because there's so many fascinating lessons to be drawn there. Oh, we're kind of cut off. That's interesting. Okay. So I'll just give you the bare-bones facts that you need to know. It is the sound of European music and African music coming together and melding, getting smushed together here in America. And, uh, and of course, this happened in the crucible of African slavery in America, that great tragedy. Uh, the interesting thing about it is it provided a venue in which, uh, in a very segregated and hostile society, African-American musicians could make great conceptual and musical theoretical contributions and innovations uh, and, and really develop the sophistication of this art form in a way that wasn't always recognized by the rest of society. It also created the first integrated spaces here in America. Do you know that? Uh, uh, Many years ago, the Savoy Ballroom, for example, in New York, was the first place where black people and white people could actually socialize on equal terms. That was pretty much unheard of. Uh, likewise, the bandstand was integrated. Black musicians and white musicians sharing the same space, playing music together. Uh, of all the many contributions that African Americans have made to our American culture, this is the only one that has gained acceptance broadly as an art form. By about the late 1950s or so, people were going, oh, this is not just entertainment, this is also great art. Uh, and all this makes it, and here's a controversial contention, this makes it America's classical music. Wait a minute, I thought classical music was America's classical music, right? I mean, we have great symphonies. We have schools churning out fantastic musicians faster than we can use them. We have the best soloists, conductors, opera companies. And yeah, thank God for all that. That's all really wonderful. Uh, however, uh, classical music is, has deep, deep roots in Europe going back many hundreds of years from even before there was what we call classical music there. And so when the rest of the world, Asians, Americans, Africans, participate in that, they're contributing, often in a very distinctive way, to what was essentially a, very, a European conversation. Uh, this isn't a musical art form, jazz that is, 
that has come entirely out of our American experience. And it also has gained worldwide acceptance as something that everyone wants to participate in. So in that sense, it's America's classical music. Does that make sense? I'm not going to try to define jazz for you. Uh, uh, most jazz musicians can't do that. I can give you a few little uh, stylistic markers that might help you, but ultimately it is not a style of music. It is actually a whole mindset and approach and methodology and discipline and tradition. But let's start with, okay, swing rhythms. What's that? Uh, you've heard the old joke, you know, white people always clap on the one and three, you know. Onward, Christian soldiers. My, nothing wrong with that, you know. That's These are rhythms that are based on... <laughs> these are rhythms that are based on, on human steps, on walking. It's beautifully human. Uh, however, you notice that uh, African Americans, for example, tend to clap on the two and four. Okay, so in jazz rhythms, you have that emphasis on the uh, on those in-between beats, not the down beats. Uh, I, I'm Brazilian myself, and there's another element to layer in here. Uh, when the way we would naturally clap and sing would be like this: Da la Okay, you get the idea. What that is, what we're doing is. Uh, we're taking those beats one, two, three, four. Instead of divide, subdividing them into uh, one, two, three, four, we're 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 you know two beats. We're taking them into three. So two, three, four, and then we're taking those little units and messing with them. And uh, that's what gives you that swing feel. Uh, here's a little demonstration: straight feel versus here's a straight beat. Now, North America is one of those places where uh, African culture was brutally repressed. In other parts, even in, in much worse slaving cultures, like the one I grew up in, uh, there was more space allowed for distinctively African things. So why do you think in New Orleans, in Congo Square, one of the few places where African Americans were allowed to gather and be African, uh, why were these the kinds of rhythms that they immediately looked around? Hey, it looks like no one's going to kill us this time. Let's play these rhythms. Oh. Any ideas? Because West Africa has you know, lots of different rhythms. These are sacred rhythms, and what we're dealing with here uh, is a very long, deep tradition of sacred music. Uh, without getting into the weeds of what, what a West African might mean by invoking the gods versus what we might mean, this was how they uh, applied for interaction with the transcendent, if you will. Uh, so... Uh, so we're actually dealing here with an ancient sacred music, not just entertainment, nor a mere art form. Uh, another hallmark of it is 
the blues. What is that? I'm going to use the blues here more as a descriptive term of various musics that you can still find to this day in the outback in West Africa and in pockets of uh, rural America. Uh, They probably persist in these out-of-the-way locations because you don't need much in the way of instrumentation to get at the essence of it. Uh, But basically, uh, it tends to be vocal music. But the main thing that's cool is that it uses these scales that have a lot of tension in them, kind of like our minor scale, only you've got... Only the minor third, you kind of push a little bit sharp and get that tension. So you, you, you push that a little bit, or you can approach it and, and not quite get to pitch, and there's this tension in it. And likewise, on the seventh, you never quite get there. Uh, <laughs> and so that's how a jazz musician knows when they read the notes on the page, that those pitches are not going to be exact, uh, like da da never quite get to pitch, da 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 That's Charles Mingus, Goodbye Pork Pie Hat. Uh, an elegy he wrote for the great Webster Coleman, a saxophone player. Uh, you hear that? And so there's that. Now, why did they, why did they do that? I mean, our, our major scale, our minor scale, you know, tends to be based on overtones of things that occur naturally in nature when you strike them. I won't get into the weeds on that. Why were they, why were they pushing these things out of pitch? Well, because it was a way to express the, the tensions that we have in, in everyday life, the, the difference between what should be and what isn't. Uh, and so this was a music that expressed that beautifully. It's very African, and it's worked its way now into American music and certainly in jazz. It's not always present at all times, but it's an element you'll hear there. Whoops, wrong way. Uh, they also then built these tensions into the harmonies. Again, I'm going to do a little bit of, uh, uh, if this seems uh, like music theory to you, uh, trust me, A, I don't know any actually, and uh, B, <laughs> B, I promise you I have a point you will understand. Okay, in, uh, uh, in our classical music, in most of our Western music, we have major scales, right? Sit still, keyboard. Thank you. Uh, and so we have major chords, right? Made on that, built on that. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. Minor chord. Mm-hmm. And that's our, that's what we take as our starting point in our harmony. And then uh, the composers have all kinds of really interesting techniques then to build in emotional complexity and depth and exquisite tensions and releases. Uh, when, uh, when Africans came here to America, they immediately adapted to this tonal system, but they said, uh, we're hearing one little ingredient that's missing. And they would start building chords with that little seventh there added on. 
And so right away, that sets up, uh, uh, that, that, that's kind of their major chord, the F major seventh there. Right away, you've got that seventh beating against the tonic. But tense there. And so if you're harmonizing. And so forth. So they're taking as their starting point uh, a kind of tension that we don't always have in in the rest of our music, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, they're, they're taking as a starting point, yeah, even when life is good, there is also this, this other thing pulling against it, right? Uh, we all feel that in our everyday lives, but this is uh, a way that expresses it musically. Uh, let's hear uh, a masterful pianist here, Bill Evans. Let's hear what he does with these kinds of harmonies. the main hallmark of this, and is not just a hallmark, this is really the heart of the art form, is improvisation. It's creation in the moment. You start with a composed piece and then you ask the musicians to recompose it on the spot. Sometimes it's just a matter of the accompanists keep doing something predictable while one person at a time does an improvised solo. But uh, Increasingly, where jazz is today, at least in small groups, is the expectation is that everyone is participating equally at all times in a conversation. Does that make sense? Uh, so uh, that means that everyone in the group has to have big ears to hear what's going on around them and to be able to create alongside their fellow musicians in that moment. Uh, They'll, they'll, sometimes they'll play a through-composed part that's very intricate, and then they, they've all agreed after that. That's where they're, they're going to start conversing on it. And uh, I'm highlighting that as the most important one, both because it's not just a stylistic marker, but it's a whole methodology that really kind of defines the art form. And also, in a little bit, that's where we're going to be talking about grace. So, 
I don't know how this is going to work, but I really wanted, rather than me just talk about it, I wanted for any of you who want to feel the visceral thrill of creating music in the moment. Whoever would like to. So, I have queued up here. Yep. Uh, this is Miles Davis, So What? And it's going to be really easy. Any of you who would like to can just come here and start hitting keys. See where it says... Okay, you behave yourself. See where it says white keys? Whenever it says white keys, uh, just hit white keys at any time. Any white key. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I promise you it will work. Uh, when, it's, when all of a sudden it says black keys there in the window... Start hitting black keys, any black keys, at any time. I promise you it will work.
Thanks, everyone. That was fun. And you say, well, that's all. That was a lot of fun. What does that have to do with grace? Uh, one thing I've learned is that you can never go wrong in this crowd uh, by quoting either Lewis or Tolkien. <laughs> so you'll recall in Tolkien's cosmology and, and his account of the creation of the world, uh, Iluvatar, the One, the All-Father, and the Ainur, who are kind of like archangels, let's say, created our world out of what? You remember? Yes, out of music. And not just any music, out of improvised music. Iluvatar would propound a theme and, and, the, and invited the Ainur to improvise on it. And that's what created the world. And I'm going to read a, a highly edited version of it here. And it came to pass that Iluvatar called together all the Ainur and declared to them a mighty theme, unfolding to them things greater and more wonderful than he had yet revealed. Then said Iluvatar, Of the theme that I have declared to you, I will now that ye make in harmony together a great music. Ye shall show forth your powers in adorning this theme, each with his own thoughts and devices, if he will. Then the voices of the Ainur, like unto harps and lutes and pipes and trumpets and viols and organs, and like unto countless choirs singing with words, began to fashion the theme of Iluvatar to a great music. But now Iluvatar sat and hearkened, and for a while it seemed good to him, for in the music there were no flaws. But as the theme progressed, it came into the heart of Melkor to interweave matters of his own imagining that were not in accord with the theme of Iluvatar. For he sought therein to increase the power and glory of the part assigned to himself. Some of these thoughts he now wove into music, and straightway discord arose about him, and many that sang nigh him grew despondent, and their thought was disturbed, and their music faltered. Then Iluvatar arose, and the Ainur perceived that he smiled, and he lifted up his left hand, and a new theme began, like and yet unlike the former theme, and it gathered power and had new beauty. But the discord of Melkor rose in uproar and contended with it. And I'm going to play just a little bit of background music here. And then again Iluvatar arose, and the Ainur perceived that his countenance was stern, and he lifted up his right hand, and behold, a third theme grew amid the confusion, and it was unlike the others, for it seemed at first soft and sweet, a mere rippling of gentle sounds and delicate melodies, but it could not be quenched, and it grew, and it took to itself power and profundity, and the other had now achieved a unity of its own, but it was loud and vain and endlessly repeated, and it had little harmony. But it seemed that its most triumphant notes were taken by the other and woven into its own solemn pattern. Then Iluvatar spoke, and he said, And thou, Melkor, shalt see that no theme may be played that hath not its uttermost source in me, nor can any alter the music in my despite, for he that attempteth this shall prove but mine instrument in the devising of things more wonderful, which he himself hath not imagined. 
Right now we're listening to Robbie Coltrane. He's the son of the legendary John Coltrane. Uh, he is no mere wannabe with a famous name. He's the real deal. I love him. Uh, let's listen to Herbie Hancock talk about his experience uh, in the 1960s playing with Miles Davis. So right in the middle of Miles' solo, when he was playing one of his amazing solos, and I'm trying, you know, I'm in there and I'm playing. Right in the middle of his solo, I played the wrong chord. A chord that was, it just sounded completely wrong. It sounded like a big mistake. And I did this and I went, oh, like this. And I put my hands around my, my, my ears. And Miles paused for a second. And then he played some notes that made my chord right. He made it correct. Which astounded me. I, was, I couldn't believe what I heard. He, Miles was able to make something that was wrong into something that was right. With, with the power of, his, of the choice of notes that he made and the feeling that he had. Not something. And now, rather than just talk about it again, uh, I'd like us to take some time, and rather than giving you lots and lots of little snippets to give you a broad exposure to all different kinds of jazz, I want you to hear a very high-quality conversation. Uh, this is the Miles Davis Quintet with Herbie Hancock, who we just heard from, the composer's Wayne Shorter, who's the sax player here. Uh, and you will hear Miles propound the theme if we're listening to the whole concert, you hear they're playing something else, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes this melodic phrase. And you're going to hear the group have a whole conversation on that theme. You will hear fragments of it recur. You'll hear them turn this inside out stand it on its head, do all kinds of things to it.
has this to do with grace? Yes? It was on Reformation Day. (laughs) Okay. I think we're done here. What this art form teaches us is that we are all of us in a web of grace. If you're the performer surrounded by your fellow musicians... You're connected by a web of grace. You are constantly extending and receiving grace in the moment, not to cover for their mistakes necessarily. Herbie Hancock was giving a very obvious example of what's actually at the heart of this art form. Why is that? Because uh, uh, we are not, even at our best, the people that other people want us to be. We are who, who God made us to be, and that's at our best. And so that means that we are constantly having to extend grace to receive the otherness that is the other person, right? And this art form teaches us that discipline. Uh, if you're so there's a web of grace between the performer and the audience because the audience has to receive what the performer gives in that moment. And it's uh not necessarily what they want. I, I can't buy a ticket and uh, go to, you know, go hear uh, Ravel's Concerto in G, and I know pretty much what I'm going to get, and I hope they hit all the sweet spots that make me go, ooh. Uh, instead, I have to take what the performer can give me in that moment, which might not be what I wanted, but uh, hopefully is what I needed. Uh, and so, there we go. Uh, The performer is also in this web of grace with the whole tradition, those who have come before. You have to deal respectfully with the tradition and at the same time be able to play lovingly with it. And meanwhile, if you're a composer, you saw Wayne Shorter, the sax player there, had composed this. He had harmonies, he had everything, structure all worked out, and then he brings it to his fellow bandmates And he joins them in gleefully tearing it apart and building it back up into something else in the moment. And so this also speaks to our relationship with God, right? We are, in fact, in a web of grace with God. Uh, Wait, God surely needs no, he needs no grace from us, right? No, he doesn't. Uh, At the same time, he continually invites us into this kind of gracious relationship with him. Why? Because he does not give us what we want. Uh, Bad things happen. Life throws the unexpected at us. There is no script. There is no manual. Uh, This, by the way, should resonate with us Anglicans because what do we do? We pray, read scripture every day so that we can be prepared for the unexpected We can't run to our Bibles and find, oh, here's a key passage that will solve this problem, right? Uh, So this extending grace to God, if you will, what is that? That's simply trusting God. We call it faith, tradition. Because we have faith, uh, we're not in despair, and that is the essence of loving God. So Paul says, faith, hope, and love will remain after we long after we lay down the horn, close the lid on the piano, put down the drumsticks, and the greatest of these is love.
Are we out of time? We've got a minute for questions. And it may be because there's so much we could say. If I could make a comment, you have given us the vocabulary for what we are here. We are not in a major key. We're not lockstep with N.T. Wright. We're too Lutheran for him. We're not perfectly Lutheran. We've got too much N.T. Wright. We're definitely not Catholic. We're definitely not purely evangelical. We are bending those keys. You've given us language to understand that. And every time Jennifer gets up there and gives those announcements, I will imagine Bruce presenting you the iPad. Somebody play. (laughs) If you're mixing salsa downstairs for the Feast of the Presentation, you're playing the keys. If you're putting your name on the back there for the refugees, welcome to America, you're playing the keys. You've given us the language for this. And, of course, sin is the ultimate wrong note. And through the cross, Christ is blending it in. Thank you for this. It's extraordinary. We applaud. So, I guess if we're not tearing down right now, are there any questions or comments if we have just a minute? Yes. Herbie, that was Herbie Hancock talking about playing with Miles Davis. Yeah. yeah. Um, that, was, that was really cool just to hear yeah. that. Um, when, when evil happens, they mm-hmm. that. Um, God desires to, to recur rather than that. Um, God can and will bring good Right, and that's the mystery because evil is evil, and yet nothing falls outside of God's sovereignty and love. And... We can't begin to explain that, but we can play jazz. <laughs> okay, I see the, the, the hordes are at the gates. So. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much.